Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. Would you give the Lord a clap offering of praise? Come on. It's Thanksgiving. Give him all the praise. Oh, praise God. Praise the Lord. How many have a need before the Lord today? We want to go before the Lord. Isn't it amazing that through Jesus Christ, we can come boldly before the throne of Almighty God? And it's a God who loves us. It's a God who cares about us. He's a God that his name is above every name. It's above sickness. It's above family problems. It's above financial problems. And all we have to do is enter into that with praise and thanksgiving. We want to go before the Lord today. We want to remember Marcus still in the hospital, Marcus Lamb, and and God is uh, healing him. He's doing much, much better. We need to remember Owen. Owen is in the hospital, and he really needs a touch of God. We need to uh, lift up every one of our people that are traveling right now, that God will give them traveling mercies and grace and miracles How many believe God is a miracle-working God? Lift your hands before the Lord right now. Father, we come before your throne. It's a throne of miracles. It's a throne of grace. It's a throne of anointing. It's a throne of power. It's a throne of healing, physical healing, financial healing, healings in the home, healings in the heart, healings in the spirit. And Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory for what you have done this last year. But we are so excited about what you're going to do this coming year. And Father, not only this week, but every moment of every day, we are thankful. And we give you all the praise and all the glory from this room and around the world in Jesus' name. Give the Lord a clap offering one more time. God bless. Amen and amen. You may be seated. The Lord bless you. I want to ask you to open your Bibles up this morning to the book of Revelations. We're going to continue on with the seven churches of Revelation. And I'm going to do part two. Last week we talked about the church in Smyrna or Smyrna, however you want to pronounce it. But I didn't want to do all of it last week because what I'm going to teach today is a clarification of God leading the church back to its Jewish roots. But it's also a clarification of how wrong the church was and has been, and and in in many cases still is, in teaching anti-Semitism. Now, remember that this book is called the Book of Revelation. We know that John is on the island of Patmos. God visits him, gives him a new image. We've talked about that the last couple weeks. And then he begins to speak to the seven churches. The seven churches, actually, he's speaking to the pastors of the church, the leaders of the church. And that's only right because... 
the judgment of God begins in the house of God. And if the judgment of God begins in the house of God, how much more should it begin with the pastors? Because as pastors, you know, somebody shared, I can't remember who it was last week. Somebody shared that a new survey came out and many pastors are saying maybe they picked the wrong vocation. Being a pastor is not a vocation. If you decided to be a pastor, decide to do something else. Because being a pastor is a calling. That's why the Lord says, be not many teachers, rabbis, pastors. Because greater is your condemnation for what you teach and what you don't teach. The Lord gives a warning to pastors and says, if you hold back my word because of the looks on their faces, I will take my anointing and give it to someone else. You see on the stage today that we have a, uh, oh, the flame went out. Can we relight the flame somehow, guys? Who put the flame out here? I was about to use the illustration that the flame never goes out, but somebody unplugged me. Israel. I knew it was you. It's always Israel. If you look at our Hanukkah menorah, and Hanukkah begins, oh, that's it? What about the, what about the middle one? Let there be light. <laughs> See, the anointing always comes from the nation of Israel. Thanks, buddy. If you look at our Hanukkah menorah, you, you notice that there's not seven candlesticks on this, but there are actually eight. And the reason is, is because this is not the temple menorah, it's the Hanukkah menorah. But the menorah represents the anointing of God, the power of God, the light of God. And so it's only fitting that in the book of Revelations, God is speaking to the seven pastors of the seven main churches of Asia. And he says that this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to live. And the thing I want you to realize is, is that unlike our (laughs) menorah, the light will never go out. As long as there is one believer in God, the light will never go out. So he says to some of the churches, if you don't repent, I'll take your light and I'm going to give it to somebody else. Now, I want to correct two things that I said last week. Number one is I said that Smyrna is the only church that God had nothing against. Actually, Philadelphia, he says nothing but good about them, too. And the book, many people were asking about the book, about the the Council of Nicaea, when the church changed everything, is is called Constantine's Sword. And I haven't read this book in years and years and years. And last night when I was finished putting my notes together, I just sat in my office and I started reading it again. Uh, It's 700, Donnie, how many pages? 723. 723 pages. But if you really want to understand how things change, and I'm going to explain a lot of it today, this is a book worth getting. All right, let's read in the book of Revelations, chapter 2, starting with verse 8. 
And to the angel, the messenger, the pastor of the church of Smyrna, write, These things says the first and the last, He who was dead and came alive, I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blaspheme of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Now, one of the things that I've said every week as we've been studying these is that the book of Revelations is a prophetic book of encouragement to the church for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. A lot of times we look at the book of Revelations and we think, man, it's all doom and gloom. And, and it's not good. If you miss the rapture, how many know it's not good? And so this is a wake-up call saying, here's how I want you to be so that you don't miss the rapture. And I'll explain that. And he ends this with a, a tremendous illustration of this. We looked at the church of Smyrna. Smyrna was about the first church of the church of Ephesus. Smyrna is just a few miles northeast of Ephesus and probably an outreach church of the church of Ephesus. Ephesus is where John was pastoring. And when he got off the island of Patmos, he ended his life there in, or his life ended there in Ephesus. Smyrna is famous because it was one of the most beautiful cities, wealthy cities in all of Asia. Many people say that it's the most beautiful city the Greek people ever, ever built. But what made it special, and we talked about this last week, what made it special is that it was the headquarters, the chief place for the worshiping of the Roman emperor Caesar. So because of this, because of this being the center of Caesar worship, because of Rome wanting to distance all Christians away from the teachings of Judaism and the original church, the church in Smyrna is terribly, terribly persecuted. They um, wanted them to, and, and I've just give you the Reader's Digest version. The main thing was, is they wanted them to stop celebrating Passover and change the celebration of Passover to Easter. Because Easter was a pagan holiday, and they thought if we incorporate paganism into Christianity, then we can all get along. But the church in Smyrna, like so many of the others, refused to give up the teachings of Christ. I read you the, uh, the uh, letter that the head of all the churches in Asia wrote back to the Pope. The Pope says, I demand that you give up Passover. I demand that you give up these Jewish things and be like the rest of us. Now, the Roman emperor um, 
the Roman church already killed the pastor of Smyrna. They, they burned him alive. They threatened to throw him into wild animals. They threatened to boil him in oil. If he didn't give up the Jewishness of the Bible, Passover, Shabbat, uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, even though they were followers of Jesus, they remained faithful to the very things that Jesus himself kept. Amen? So the Pope writes a letter to the, he- the bishop of all the churches. The bishop, you know what? Let me, let, me, let me read it to you again, just so you understand how serious this was. This was the beginning. Now, the reason I'm taking time to say this, this was the beginning of the teachings of anti-Semitism in the church. This is the birthing of it. So the Pope, the victor of Rome, demand, writes a letter and he says, I demand the churches of Asia forsake the practice of observing Passover and begin observing Easter. So Polycrates, the bishop of all the churches in Asia, writes back. He talks about all the martyrs, all the people that have been, all the leaders of the church that have been killed because they celebrate exactly the way the Bible says and Jesus does. He gives a whole list of the martyrs and he writes back to the Pope. And he says, we observe the exact day, neither adding nor taking away. In, and he lists the martyrs, including Polycarp, the pastor of Smyrna, who was burned alive. And all of these observe the 14th day of the Passover, according to the gospel, deviating in no respect, but following the rules of faith. And I also, Polycrates, the least of you all, do according to the tradition of my relatives. Some have followed closely, for seven of my relatives were bishops, and I am the eighth. And my relatives always observe the day when the people put away the leaven, Passover. I therefore, brethren, who have lived 65 years in the Lord and have met with the brethren throughout the world and have gone over every scripture, am not affrightened by your terrifying words. That greater, the, there were those who are greater than me have said, we ought to obey God rather than man. I could mention the bishops' names who are present, whom you summoned, who I summoned at your desire, whose names I could write would constitute a great multitude. And I want you to understand this. A great multitude of the church leaders just in Asia, and they beholding my littleness, gave their consent for me to write you this letter knowing that I did not bear my gray hair in vain, but had always governed my life by the Lord Jesus and the teachings of the Bible. So here he says to the new leader of the church, we are not going to do what you say we ought to do, but we are going to do what the Bible says to do, and what Jesus himself did, we're going to stay faithful to the faith. Now, this doesn't seem like maybe that's all that important unless you understand 
You know, by the grace of God, we are somewhere around number one, number two, something like that, of the most watched and responded to teachings on Christian television. And because everything we teach has to do with the Jewish roots, and everything we teach has to do with standing with Israel and the Jewish people around the world. So what we're seeing right now is the whole church or a large portion of the church world coming full circle back to being exactly what the first church was, part of the faith of Abraham and Moses. Now, this, what I'm going to give you right now, I've already taught all that, but this, what I'm going to give you right now is... um, the foundation of all false teaching concerning Israel and Jerusalem and the church. It is the foundation of all anti-Semitism that is still taught in the church. Let's look at Smyrna, verse 9. The Lord says, I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich. Now, we, we went over that last week. What was the number one product from Smyrna? Myrrh. Frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Okay, so we, we, this is, this is uh, what's making this town wealthy. But in the case of the followers of Jesus, the Lord says, I know how poor you are. And it literally means the word that's used here, it means destitute. So this is not a light thing. This is not, uh, oh, there's a little persecution going on. They, these people were destitute because they f- refused to give up their Jewish roots. All right? So look at this next part. Here's where I want to go today. I know, your, I know your tribulation, your poverty, but you're rich. Now look at this next verse. I know the blaspheme of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, I looked this up in everything I could find on the Internet. And 99%, of the church teachings on this are saying Because the Jews killed Jesus, they are of the synagogue of Satan. I read teachings that said the Jews in Smyrna hated Christians so much that they were part of the plan of Rome to kill them off. Folks, this is as far from the truth as you could possibly be. Let's look at this. First off, it says, of the synagogue of Satan. Now, there's a teaching in John chapter 8, verse 44. And we won't turn there, but I'm just going to give it to you. Jesus is talking to some very, very corrupt spiritual leaders in Jerusalem. And Jesus says to these corrupt political leaders, he said, you are of your father, the devil. Right? Okay, now what we need to understand is this teaching in John chapter 8 
and the teachings in Revelation of the synagogue of Satan are the foundation of all anti-Semitism in the church for 2,000 years. And today I'm going to explain it. When the guy shot all those Jews, went into the synagogue, remember what was in Pittsburgh a couple years ago, and shot all those Jews, they went to his website or to his emails, and he used these two scriptures. Jesus himself said to the Jews, you are of your father the devil. But what you need to understand is, number one, Jesus was not saying that to every Jew. If a white person holds up a bank, not all white people are accountable. If a black person holds up a bank, not all black people are accountable. If a Mexican holds up a bank, not all Mexicans are accountable. That's, that's total ignorance. The ones that Jesus is talking about, let's take Caiaphas, the high priest. Caiaphas, the high priest, even though he was the high priest in Jerusalem, he was not appointed by God. He was given the job by Rome. When Rome was looking to put someone in as the high priest, they went through several applicants before they found somebody corrupt enough that they could control. When Caiaphas, in 1992, I believe it is, they found the, 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 the sarcophagus of, of Caiaphas, and in his skull was a coin that you pay to cross the river Styx in eternity. He was, not a, he was a high priest, but he wasn't a Jew. He wasn't a follower of the Bible. He was a corrupt pagan politician that just happened to have the position. So when Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil, you are of your father, the devil. He was saying this to the people. Remember, uh, after, uh, the feast of tabernacles on the last day, and they brought the woman caught in the very act of adultery. And they said, the, the law says stoner. What do you, they wanted to stoner. They, they wanted to kill this woman just to make Jesus look foolish. That's not a Jew. These are the same people that Jesus, as he's talking to them, he's saying, you've tried to arrest me over and over again. You tried to stone me. You're calling for my death. You want to kill that innocent woman. You don't care. You're of the devil. Now, what if a pastor got up on the platform and he is the pastor of the church and he's preaching uh, pro-abortion? He's preaching it's okay to commit adultery. He may be called a pastor, but he's not a Christian. Paul himself said in Romans, he said to be a Jew is not something on the outside, but it's something on the inside. Pastor Scott and I tell the story all the time. We were at uh, a kosher restaurant here in Dallas with two two rabbis, uh, orthodox rabbis that we, we love very much. And I almost started a fist fight. I almost caused a fist fight because here's two rabbis from two different camps. And I said, what makes a Jew faith or blood? Woo! Man, I repented for asking that question. But I agree with Rabbi Lappin was one of them. And Rabbi Lappin said, it's by what you believe. It's by what's on the inside of you. That's what Paul was saying. He said, it's not what's on the outside, 
but it's what's on the inside that makes you a Jew. When we read this of the synagogue of Satan, what does the scripture say? It says those who call themselves Jews and are not. Now, if you remember in Ephesus, it said, he said, there are some who call themselves apostles and are not. So these who call themselves Jews that are not, they could, they, they could be, they could be, have their own synagogue. They could, um, uh, be those who have given up the teachings of the Bible and embraced, even though they're in a synagogue or they're calling in a synagogue, embrace the teachings of Rome. They are not true Jews. Those who are Jews are Jews by faith, by what they believe. Do you, do you understand? So when this scripture is used to say, we're the new Israel, we believe they're the, the synagogue of Satan. He's not talking about Jews who follow the law and follow the Torah and follow the teachings of God and love God and love their neighbor. He's talking about those. They may call themselves Jews, but they are not. As a matter of fact, what they're teaching is of the devil. Does that make sense to you? When Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil, he's not embracing this or covering every person that's a Jew. He's covering a handful of corrupt people that were partnering with Rome and the crucifixions of the Jewish people. Let me read something to you here. I, I told you the other day that this was hard reading, and it's not, it's not easy reading, but it's really worth it to understand the miracle that God is doing in turning us all back to our Jewish roots. Listen to this. Are not the New Testament writings twisted by a hatred of Jews that the church council would later renounce a betrayal of the message of Jesus. If this is so, where does this leave us? In other words, and and I'll explain this. In other words, he's saying you can take a scripture and twist it and make it mean whatever you want it to mean, right? Jesus himself said, you are of your father, the devil, But he also said in that same paragraph, salvation comes from the Jews. We forget that Jesus was a Jew and that Paul was a Jew and that Peter was a Jew and Mary and Ringel and all the rest of them. They were all Jews and they never stopped being Jews. Paul, the apostle said, following the law, the Torah, I do it more than any of you. And he's the apostle to the church. Listen to this. This will blow your mind. That Pilate, not the Jews, was charged with the death of Jesus by the creed we daily recited in Mass. And he quotes, For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He goes on to say that, as, this, as Mr. Carroll wrote the book, he goes on to say that, in class, we finally got to the point realizing we're been, being taught wrong. So he said, I asked the professor, I said, have we twisted the gospel in order to make it mean something that it's not concerning the Jews 
and falsified history. And he said the professor could not give us an answer. Now, I want you to understand that this scripture here, that of the synagogue of Satan, is so vitally important that we understand he is not talking about Jews that are following the Torah. He's not talking about Jews that are loving God. He's talking about people who call themselves Jews, but they are not. Amen? Amen? How many have ever met somebody? <laughs> it's a terrible illustration. How many have ever met somebody? I, you know, I, uh, you know, when before COVID, we travel all the time and we go to all, you know different places. And I get cards all the time, and it says Prophet so and so, or Prophetess so and so. And and just because it's on a card doesn't make it true, <laughs> right? It's the same thing. Somebody could say that they're a Christian. But they're not. Give me an amen. amen. I'm not talking about you. You're all Christians. <laughs> so during this time, you know, one of the questions that came up concerning the book of Revelations is when was it written? When was the book of Revelations written? Well, most will agree it was probably written around 96, 98 AD. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to freak some of you out here. But it may have been rewritten a few hundred years later because the oldest Bible in the world that we have, the oldest Bible in the world that we have was written 356 after the death of Christ. And so a lot of questions come up is that after the Council of Nicaea, in Turkey, where the seven churches of Revelations are, after the Council of Nicaea, which was 325 years after the resurrection of Jesus, the Roman emperor got together and said, here's what we're going to say the Bible means. Listen to this. It says, at Nicaea, the, the city named for Nike, the goddess of victory, at the council enshrining the Christian victory, that Constantine, forbidding the observance of Easter at Passover time, declared, quote, It is unbecoming that on the holiest festival we should follow the customs of the Jews. Hence, the whole, henceforth, let us have nothing in common with these horrible people. So at the Council of Nicaea, when they decided, here's what we're going to write in the Bible, here's what we're going to say it means, they made a political decision to remove everything that has to do with Jews, Jerusalem, Israel, so that people would stop having dedication to Jerusalem and start praying towards Rome. This scripture, the synagogue of Satan, is the number one scripture that the church has used for 2,000 years. Now, let me read you one more thing out of this book. It's, it's, it's worth getting. And this guy is writing it. He, had been a, he has been a Catholic, raised a Catholic, educated as Catholic. And listen to what he says. In the Christian world, the influence of the 19th century German Protestant theology was so dominant that it was felt even within the Roman Catholic Church. 
especially in the matter of historical quests for Jesus that led to his removal from all Jewishness. As critics of that quest remind me now, the illustrated books we used in Catholic schools that I attended, now this is, this is really fascinating, that I attended as a child had been shaped by visual clues. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and all their intimates, save one, were portrayed with the radical sartorial characteristics of blue eyes, light brown flowing hair, graceful long robes of northern Europe in in stark distinction to the picture of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the high priests with their odd headdresses, their phylacteries, their tasseled prayer shawls, oversized noses, and dark skin. It was as if the residents of the town of Galilee were of a different racial strain than those of the land of Judea. Indeed, in the 19th century, Jesus commonly came to refer to not as someone from Judea, but as the Galilean or the Nazarene, distancing him from Judea, the region of the Jews. The only obvious Semite in Jesus' inner circle, of course, was the one named for that region, Judas. The betrayer functioned in this filtered narrative as the one Jew, the story forever emphasizing as a Jew, his motive is greed. Isn't that fascinating? Here is, here is, guys, the foundation of anti-Semitism in the church. It's the foundation of the Crusades. It's the foundation of the pogroms. It's the foundation of the Inquisition. It's the foundation of the Holocaust. And they've taken scriptures and changed history to make it mean something that Jesus or God never said. And in the last days, what does God say? Our eyes will be open and we'll realize that we have inherited useless and meaningless lies. Now, let me take you one step further. Look at, look at verse, uh, um, look at verse 10. Now do not fear any of these things, which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Now, look at this. I looked up, you know, when I study, I go to the original Hebrew of the Bible to see what it means. But there is no original Hebrew in the book of Revelation because the rabbis aren't writing about the book of Revelation. And so I went in the Internet and I said, okay, what are the 10 days that God's talking about in the church of Smyrna? And, you, and there was, most would say it means just a short period of time or a limited period of time. But understand, when God writes something in the book, not one jot or one tittle should be removed because everything has a meaning to it. 
So when I was reading this, I said, okay, nobody in the church can figure out what the 10 days are. Let me think like a Jewish Jesus speaking to a Jewish John, speaking to a church in Smyrna that are holding on to their Jewish roots. Now, the number 10 in Judaism has 10, 10 utterances in creation. There are 10 commandments, and we go on and on. But he's talking about something from persecution to victory. Can you pull up my timeline here real quick, guys? The 10 days that he's talking about, I came out and I said, Tiz, look at this. This is what he's talking about. And Tiz says, it's like, you, it's like a secret code. And that's what he says. Those who have eyes to see will see. Those who have ears to hear will hear. During the month of Elul, we have 30 days of blowing the shofar. After the blowing of the shofar, we have Rosh Hashanah, which is symbolic of the rapture. After 10 days, we have uh, Yom Kippur, which is symbolic of the second coming. And then we get into the thousand-year reign. When he's saying to the church of Smyrna, hold on, stay faithful. He said, this is only going to last 10 days. Well, the Christian mind's not going to understand what he's talking about. But those who are holding on to the roots of the faith of Jesus, we see Jesus celebrating Rosh Hashanah. We see Jesus celebrating Yom Kippur. We see Jesus celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. That's when the, the, they brought in the woman caught in the act of adultery. They knew exactly what he was saying. Hold on, because at the end of the 10 days, there is going to be a phenomenal reward. There's going to be a phenomenal blessing. It's only going to last a little while. And during that time, I will defeat every enemy that's coming against you. And you are going to walk in victory. And it's going to happen just like Rosh Hashanah on Yom Kippur. Amen. And then what does he say? He said, if you hold on and be faithful, even unto death, even unto death. Now there's a debate again on what this could mean. Does it mean that some of them are going to die for their faith? Well, that really could be that, that, that really could be. And some of them did die for their faith. But he ends that with saying, and if you hold on, even unto death, even to, it, 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 it would do me, how long have I been saved now? 45 years. 45 years? I'm only 50. I've been serving the Lord for 45 years. What if I backslid tomorrow and the rapture came on Tuesday? That'd be a bummer. I believe as much as he's saying, yes, yeah, some of you are going to die in, 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 at the time of Smyrna. I believe he's saying, stay faithful your whole life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening to you, no matter what the devil's trying to do, stay faithful because the reward is about to come. And he says, listen to this. He says, if keep, keep that timeline up there. He said, if you're faithful, Number one, you will receive the crown of life. Now, I, I don't have time this morning to get into it all, but when we stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, he will look at our lives, what we've done, how we've lived, and there are five crowns that are available to us. Five crowns. I, I You know, this may not relate to some of you but you ever see a guy who 
who wins the world championship and and puts they're putting all the belts on him in the ring and everything i i picture that happening that you know we're going to walk out of there and we're going to have crowns on top of our crowns and we're going to have them forever well this is what's called in the bible the judgment seat of christ now there's a debate and let, let me let me bring this all together there's a debate when the judgment seat of Christ takes place. Does it take place at the rapture? Does it take place at the second coming? Does it take place during the Feast of Tabernacles? I don't think it matters. But if, we, if you make the rapture, if you and I make, how am I going to make the rapture? If you make the rapture, then you and I stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And the judgment seat of Christ does not say whether we're going to heaven or hell. The ju- if you make the rapture, you're already in. We're done. We're, we've made it. We, we crossed the finish line, right? But we'll stand before the Lord, and he will give out the crown of life, the incorruptible crown, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, the crown of rejoicing. And you and I will be rewarded are not rewarded by what we've done or we haven't done. Now, I'm going to say this because this is a book of encouragement. God brings this up because wouldn't it be a bummer? Wouldn't it be a bummer to stand next to your neighbor and he's got all the crowns on him and you... you... I'm in. At the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the judgment seat of Christ is not the great white throne judgment. I personally believe they take place the same time. In other words, here's one line that's in the judgment seat of Christ getting rewards. And here's the other line, which is the great white throne judgment that is being judged. This is what Jesus was telling John. He said, if you hold on, If you don't give in, if you don't go the way the world wants you to go, you don't go the way Rome wants you to go, you don't go the way uh, 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 the empire wants you to go, then you will not taste of the second death. Now, real quick, I'll explain that. It's appointed unto a man, a woman, once to die, and then the judgment, okay? I said this last week, and, and, and I, a few of you got it. If you are born twice, you only die once. But if you're only born once, you will die twice. See, what does that mean? I got born in November 15th, 1950. I was born. 26 le- years later, I was born again. I've been born twice. Now that I've been born twice... If I die before the rapture takes place, I will only die once. The first death, without getting all the scriptures, the first death is our soul being temporarily separated from our body. The second death is our soul forever being separated from God. So at the great white throne judgment... We will be judged, people at the great white throne judgment will be judged for their sin because they have not received Christ as Savior. But at the, at the uh, judgment seat of Christ, 
they'll, they'll, one day they'll say, Larry Huck, and I'll come forward, and I'm going to get all the crowns and all this stuff and everything. You and I will be rewarded according to what we've done or we haven't done. I believe that happens right here. Then we go into the wedding supper of the Lamb. But at this point, if you've not met Christ, if you've not been born again, you are forever separated from God. And folks, nobody wants that. Can I have an amen? This is why God wrote these books. I want to ask you to stand with me all over the, all over the room here. And those that are watching by TV, let this be for you also. Last week, last week, we went in the back and I told the guys, I said, today on this Sunday, I said, I believe God wants to bring an anointing of financial blessing and restoration. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I was not thinking of this being tonight, the first night of Hanukkah. What Hanukkah is, is that 132, I believe, years, so many years before the time of Jesus, the Greek and the Syrians had taken over Israel. And they went into the temple, and they desecrated it. They sacrificed pigs on the altar, etc., etc. The Maccabees rose up, a handful of those who would not bow down. And by a miracle of God, the Syrian Greek army was the strongest army in the world at that time. And a handful of men and women who would not bow down, the Maccabees, defeated the enemy by the blessing of God. They went back to Jerusalem and they went in and cleaned up the temple, sanctified it, and then they went to light the menorah, the anointing of God, the light of the world. But when they got there, they realized that there was only one cruise of oil. Now, you're not supposed to have it lit. Once you light it, it's never to go out. But they felt like God said to them, go ahead and light. One day of the light of God is better than none. Now, it takes eight days to sanctify the oil. And by the way, the, the oil that they say will light the menorah when the Messiah returns is, comes from the area of the city of Emos, where we're planting olive trees. The, the scholars are saying the olive trees that we're planting with the Jews in Judea and Samaria will be the oil used. And last year, they started producing oil. I have some. I have some in my office. When they went to light it, they said, well, it'll take eight days to sanctify the oil, to make the oil pure. But it's better to light it one day than none. But when they came in the next day, it was still going. They came in the next day, it was still going. Came in the next day, it was still going. It burned by a miracle of God for eight days. And the Jews knew that this was a sign from God. That he was covering his people. And bringing 
a blessing of multiplication of everything that was stolen from them, bringing that back. Amen? Now, the thing I want you to look at on the, on the Hanukkah menorah is there's eight, the eight days of Hanukkah miracle. But the middle one is called the servant. It represents the Messiah. It's always at a different level. Why? Because if your flame, if your light goes out, he will always bend down and relight it. And the amazing thing about God using fire as a symbol of his anointing is no matter how far it has to bend, the flame always points towards heaven. What God is saying is, is that, yeah, there's tough times in Smyrna. And in our world, there's tough times going on. There's some tough times going on. A lot of people are worried, what's going to happen? You don't have to worry about it. Because he sees everything. He knows everything. And he will bow down in whatever situation you and I are in. Wherever, whatever we're in, he will bow down and light that flame and the anointing of God. Nothing in this world the anointing of God will put out. Now, let me, let me tell you one more thing before we pray. In ancient Hebrew, there's no word far. When the Maccabees went in to relight the menorah in the temple, that was the 25th of the Hebrew month of Kesef, which is the 25th of December. Why during the 25th of December do we put lights up everywhere? Where did that begin? That began here because this is called the Festival of Lights. I had the privilege a few years ago of teaching in a synagogue here in Dallas, just a tremendous honor. They asked me, the, the, the rabbi asked me to come and he said, I don't know if anybody will show up, uh, but I feel like we, we need to hear why you're teaching what you're teaching. And so we went there and the place was packed. He leaned over to me and said, you're getting more out now than I get out on Yom Kippur. And it was during the time of Hanukkah. And so they caught up and they lit the Hanukkah candles and everything. And he's explaining, not realizing that we do the same thing. We understand this. And so when I got up and I said, uh, how many of you, before you came at home, you lit your Hanukkah menorah? And they, of course, they all raised their hand. I said, do you know where in the Bible Hanukkah is even mentioned? And they all looked at each other. You know, it's only mentioned one time in the Bible. And guess who mentioned it? Jesus the festival of lights. So when we think about December 25th, the birthing, the day we pick to, to birth for the birthing of our Messiah, understand that this is once again something that the early church tried to take away our Jewish roots. But when you think about Jesus and you think about Hanukkah and you think about the miracle of the enemy, a handful of guys defeated. It, it, it'd, be like, it'd be like a small band defeating the U.S. Army. And God gave them a victory. But to show that his hand was on them, he brought multiplication. Not just enough, not seven, eight. 
because our God is a God of more than enough. Can I have an amen? I'd like to have every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around just for a moment. And you're here right now. And you say, Pastor, you know what? I've never given my life to Jesus, or maybe you have, but you need to rededicate your life. I'm not going to ask you to come forward and embarrass you or anything, but you, you want to acknowledge that, you know what? Maybe somewhere along the way you started bowing down to the world. And today you're going to stand up straight. You're going to stand up for Jesus. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, no one's looking around. Would you lift your hand up and say, Pastor, would you remember me in prayer? And just keep it there. This is a, this is a, it's not a coincidence that you're doing this on the birthing of the light of God. That God will bring such great light into your life. Just hold your hand up there. I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. Just keep it up. That hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. Thank you. That hand, that hand. Keep it up. That hand, that hand, that hand. Thank you. That hand, that hand. God bless you. That hand, that hand. God bless you. That hand, 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 that hand, that hand. That hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. That hand, God bless you. That hand, God bless you. That hand, God bless you. Would you give these wonderful people a clap offering this morning? Now, I'm going to say this, and don't send me any letters. I don't read anything bad anyway. I believe what's happening in the world right now is the birth pangs. During the the month of Elul, the blowing of the shofar, this is the birth pangs. I believe... I believe that the rapture, excuse me, it's over here. I believe the rap, I believe we're, we're right here in the rapture. I believe we're really, really close. But I don't believe it's going to happen right now. And I know the wicked servant says the master delays is coming. He could come before the service is over, correct? Yeah. But I believe God is getting ready to do something. The glorious church, the latter rain, the end time transfer of wealth, the signs and the wonders and the miracles. And I believe God is waking people up and saying, come on, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be a part of this. I really believe that everything the devil has stolen, especially this last year and a half or two years, is coming back multiplied by seven. I believe that. And I want to release an anointing. And, and I, felt, I felt this last Sunday. I told Derek and Evo and the guy and Donnie in the back. I said, next Sunday is an anointing for prosperity and blessing and restoration. And I wasn't thinking of it being Hanukkah. This is not a coincidence. Tonight launches us into an appointed time. A time of maybe it's restoration in your home. Maybe it's restoration in your family. Maybe during the time of this COVID nonsense, uh, the devil's attacked your business, your job, or your finances, or whatever. This is a time of restoration. And I believe everything the devil has stolen. You know, I've heard statistics that during this time of COVID, so many divorces... And so many family problems because everybody's been locked up together. You know, I've got a big enough house that I can go hide. But people, you know, in, in a little apartment with three or four or five kids, it's no wonder. You... This is restoration time. If you're ready for an anointing of restoration, I want you to come forward right now. 
I want you to come forward. It's not a coincidence. And this could be, God, I need your multiplication of joy, of happiness, of health, of finances, of whatever. This is not, this is not a coincidence that during this time of Hanukkah, during this time of God's miracle, come, come this way. Why is it you always stay away from me? Is it, am I downwind or something here? How many of you need, and I'm not, I don't want anything embarrassing. I feel this very certain restoration in your home, restoration in your home. Come, come on down. Keep coming. Squeeze on down next to everybody here. Squeeze on down. This is the season of miracles. Hanukkah is the season of miracles to touch your marriage, to touch your children, to touch your grandchildren, to touch your home. How many of you need restoration in your finances? Restoration in your finances. Amen. When you discover who the thief is, so many times you people, well, God's doing this, God's doing that. It's Satan who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now that we know it's the devil, everything that he's stolen from us coming back multiplied by seven. See, I believe in all my heart that when this does take place, the rapture does take place, the beginning of the 10 days of awe, when that does take place, I believe a thousand percent we're going out a glorious church. We're not going out bruised, busted, and disgusted. We're going out the head and not the tail. Let me say it this way. You're going out the head and not the tail. You're going out the lender, not the borrower. Now, here's what I want you to receive. A new mind. An anointing for abundance. An anointing for prosperity. An anointing of more than enough. Say more than enough. Because this is a sign. And ask the guys. Ask the guys. Last week, I said there's going to be an anointing for prosperity. There's going to be an anointing for restoration. Ask guys, I did not think of Hanukkah coming because I'm thinking Hanukkah is usually this, around the same time as Christmas. Hanukkah this year is way early, yeah. way early. And so when I realized that this is the time of more than enough, I knew it was a word from God. But it's not a time for, of more than enough for just anybody. It's a time for more than enough for you and you and you. You need to take this personal. Say, it's my time. This year is my time. Lift your hands this way. Father, right now, I release an anointing on every home, on every marriage, on every individual, on every family. And I declare a time of more than enough a time of abundance, a time of good measure, pressed down, shaking together, overflowing, a time of restoration. Father, I declare that everything the devil has stolen, whether it be finances or joy or peace or health, I declare in the name that is above every name, and I declare by the power of his blood that everything the devil has stolen must come back. Somebody shout must must come back. Say it again. Must. Must come back. Multiplied by seven. In Jesus' name, we declare it. 
Every head bowed just for a moment. There's somebody whose son is in dire straits. God's going to bring that son back. Who are you? Your son is in one, two, okay, more than, more than that, three, four. Your son is in dire straits. God's going to bring them back. God's going to bring them back. Close your eyes and picture the Lord. Bring, put in his arm. Look at me. Look at me a second. Picture the Lord right now putting, putting his, his, his hand on your son's back and bringing him home. Father, in the name of Jesus, I call these sons back. I call these prodigal sons back in the name of Jesus. I call these prodigal sons back. Somebody else is in your business, in your business, because of the COVID and because of all the other nonsense and pride. Your business is in dire straits. Where are you? Lift your hand up. One, two, three. Who else? Four, five. What is it? What, what business are you in, sir? Okay, can you translate for me? There is, just go and translate to him. There is a special anointing on your life. I saw it from the moment I walked on the platform. God is going to take your life, your family, and all that you do, and he's going to lift it up to a new level for the kingdom of God and for the blessing on you and your family. If you receive that, folks, would you give the Lord a clap offering? Amen. There was another gentleman I was looking at. This gentleman right here with the uh, plaid shirt on. Right right here, sir. What do you need from the Lord? There's a, the, every time I look over, I can see God's hand on the sides of your head. What do you need from the Lord? His will to be done. Okay. As I looked at you, I saw you wandering along a path. This is why I saw you back and forth along a path, back and forth. God is going to straighten that path out. And instead of taking years to get to your destiny, your destiny is coming quickly. He's going to guide you and lead you. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? How many believe it's a time of restoration? What do you need, sweetheart? What do you need from the Lord? Okay. You're carrying a guilt that you're not supposed to be carrying. When Jesus showed himself to John... He showed himself with eyes of fire, and he said, I see everything. You're carrying a guilt that's blocking your blessing. That guilt, man, I feel the Holy Ghost. That guilt is being lifted right now. And your destiny is on its way. Amen? Your destiny is on its way. Also, God will give you divine wisdom. There is a husband in your destiny a man in your destiny, a restoration in your destiny. And you need to walk in the joy and the, and the forgiveness of the Lord because everything, you know, there's a scripture that I say, every time the devil accuses me of my past, number one, I accuse him of his future. I, I, but the other thing of it is, is that 
There's a scripture that I say to myself all the time. Those who are forgiven much, love much. There's a new, there's going to be a new walk in the things of, do you know each other? You need to get to know each other. You need to know these, these women around you because there's a new walk with God that's coming your way. Somebody give the Lord a clap offering. Amen. How many believe God's giving you a new beginning? A time of restoration, a time of abundance, a time of the fulfillment of prophecy of God in in your life. Amen. Let's sing that song, Anointing Fall on Me, would you please? Can we sing that, guys, Anointing Fall on Me? Lift your hands and close your eyes. Fall on me. Come on, girls. Fall on me. Let the power of the Holy Ghost fall on me. Anointing fall. Thank you, Brandon. What do you guys need from the Lord? Financial blessing. Men, what do you do for a living? Sell cars? Yeah. That's really tough right now. Yeah. Look for another door, an added door to open up to you. Look for a door that's going to not take away your fin- where you're at financially right now, but it's going to add. There's going to be a... I don't don't know how that works in the car business, but there's going to be a promotion in your life. God's going to elevate you financially in your life. Lift your hands. Father, how many need an elevation in your finances? Father, in the name of Jesus, I release this right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Brother, what do you need from the Lord? Healing for... A little softer, guys, a little softer. Healing for your wife? What, what is wrong? With what? Come up here. Come up here. I need, lady, I need some of my anointed ladies. And what did you need, too? What's Diabetes? Yeah, okay. Father, in the, lift your hands this way. Anybody else need a healing? This is the beginning of Hanukkah. We might as well, you have not because you ask not. You need a healing? What do you need, ma'am? Diabetes. Diabetes. What do you need? Diabetes. My, 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 my. What do you need? Diabetes. All right, come on up. All of you with diabetes, come up here. Huh? What? I mean, who, how, you, you can't make that up, folks. Six in a row. Anybody else with diabetes? Come over this way. Come on. Stand. Just come up on the... If you can, stand up with it. Anybody else with diabetes? Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. Whenever you see or hear of a miracle in somebody else's life, what does it mean? It means you're next, right? It means you're next. Anybody else? Anybody with cancer? Anybody that's watching by stream, lift your hands towards the, the, the television, towards your computer. Anybody else with anybody with cancer? Wave at me. If anybody with cancer? Anybody else with diabetes? 
Okay, lift your hands this way, church. Let's, let's. The Bible says, whatever we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, right? Father, in the name of Jesus, we bind the spirit of infirmity right now in every area of di- diabetes, of lupus. Oh, there it is right there. Of diabetes, of lupus, of every sickness and disease. And Father, we give you praise and glory in the name of Jesus. Father, we honor you in knowing that by the stripes of our Lord and Savior, we are healed. We receive that. Now we loosen right now the miracle power of God in every body, in every situation, in Jesus' name. And who the Son sets free is free. Give the Lord a clap offering. Amen. I want us to do something as we close. Turn towards our camera. We have thousands of people watching us around the world. We release from new beginnings here in Dallas. Father, we release. Lift your hands up towards them. From our family to yours, because you are part of our family. Father, we release the anointing of God. We release the power of God. We release the miracle of God. And we release the multiplication of God. In the name of Jesus, no matter where you are in the world, may the anointing of God, may that flame of God be lit. And may the enemy never put it out again in Jesus' name. Now let's say this as we close. Say, Father, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I know I've sinned. We've all sinned. But I know this. You love me so much. You sent Jesus Christ to pay the price in full for all my sin. Right now, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior.